Welcome to the Art and Science of Complex Sales. This is a podcast where we explore how the best B2B sales leaders make the complex simple, drive relationships and revenue, and generally elevate the sales profession. In this podcast, we're bringing together sales experts, thought leaders, top account executives, buyers, industry insiders, all to share their experiences and best practices for navigating the complex sales cycle. So whether you're a seasoned sales professional, a sales leader, or just starting out, you're gonna find practical insights and actionable advice that you can apply to your own sales journey. Plus, we have a bit of fun. Welcome to the art and science of complex sales. This is episode number 50. 50 freaking episodes. I'm going to take a moment and practice a lot of gratitude. I want to say thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners. You keep this thing going with your comments, with your feedback, with your direct calls. Thank you for helping us drive and get better and better and better and better. Second, our guests. I get to talk with the top sales and revenue generation experts from across the world on a weekly basis and bring that to you. That is no small feat. These people are amazing. They're helping drive companies, communities, families, and people and bring them together for the purpose of growth. And lastly, I want to thank the people that make this possible, Membrane.com. Keep up the great work. Keep shining bright. Stacy, Johanna, and everybody that is involved in producing this on an ongoing basis, make sure it happens. You guys rock. So with that, we are going to get into the 50th episode. And after this one, we are going to change it up a bit. Next year, we're going to divvy it up a little bit. We're going to have a couple different seasons. The first one's going to be focused on sales coaching. So let's get after it and let's get today's episode started. Frederick and Jonathan Lucas are an amazing example of brothers in action. They combine different personalities and views in a way that is complementary, powerful, and on point to help companies understand and drive past barriers to growth. As partners in business and two of the top experts in the world at driving scalable growth, they seamlessly mesh both the art and science of creating sustainable and healthy sales teams. Joining us from the frozen north in Canada, they bring a strong perspective on leadership, sales, and the critical nature of a systematic and proven approach to building a strong sales team. Let's get started with Fred and John from Prima Resource. Frederick and Jonathan, how the heck are you? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Paul. Great to be here also. And that was Frederick. Yes, Jonathan, the tech guy already struggling with the mute button. That is so tw- <laughs> that is so 2020 of me. Jonathan, you're muted. Hello, Paul. How are you doing today? I'm doing awesome, man. Oh, it's great to have you guys. So both last name Lucas. So I'm going to have to be some moderating some brotherly love here, huh? Yes, 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 absolutely. As long as Frederick always uh, recognizes that I t- taught him everything, then, you know, we should be, f- we should be fine. We should be good to go. <laughs> Frederick, what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, it's fine. I, I let him get away with that. So it makes him feel better. So uh, it's all good. Whatever well, makes me happy. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to then direct the first question to Fred. Cause this, uh, this will be a big one. Then you can affirm it, right, Jonathan? You could just say, hey, I, I taught you that. Um, Fred, let's dive in. Uh, how do you define sales? That's a great question. Um, I think there needs to be a component of influence. There needs to be a component of positioning. And uh, I, I, And I'm like thinking back, I can remember instances where, you know, there's a transaction uh, there, there's selling happening, but it's not selling, okay? Because you didn't have to influence anyone and you didn't have to position anything. So, and I remember talking with other sales experts uh, and we were having a discussion about back then, you know, a book and how that book was position and sold to kind of increase the perception of value. So I think this is really what selling is about. It's about, uh, it's also about building that perception of value. It's kind of that buildup. Um, and there are different ways to create that buildup. Obviously, you know, storytelling would be one thing uh, that probably helps with the buildup and, and kind of just 
increase the overall perception of value. So this for me is how I would define sales. So can I grab that and see if I could uh, consolidate in a sentence and then pass it by Frederick? I think what I heard you say is the ability to the ability to create and influence others around the perception of value. Uh, so to create the perception of value, to understand the perception of value and communicate the perception of value. Yeah, I think that, that sums it up pretty well. John? Okay, so you need me to to to, to top that, right? You need me no, to... No, <laughs> come on. Well, you can top it, but yeah. this is the Prima podcast. All right, is, here I go. So uh, uh, I agree. I agree. Uh, it, it happens sometimes that I agree with Frederick. And I'm, I'm going to add to that. One of the very few things that Frédéric has taught me is that, and I'd like to bring that <laughs> to the table, I see sales as a mechanism within a company and a company is a, is a group or a, it's basically mechanisms that are executed in a certain order which create what we know as a company. Whatever you do, whatever you produce, whatever you distribute, whatever you sell, you have to the, the production of an item. There is a certain steps to it that need to be done in order to generate that, that thing. Mm -hmm. And I see sales as being that mechanism when, where things need to take place in a very specific order and need to be executed in a in a specific way to make sure that the outcome will be aligned with the value and aligned with what the company wants to do and i believe that often people see the sales department as this mysterious creature that is very artistic and and based off of those invisible forces that will generate sales. And that has that was actually my perception of it early in my career is how how the heck do we do that? And you just do your thing. And I, I, the first company I worked for pretty much got a cell phone, beautiful Blackberry, you know, remember, and, and a huge laptop. QWERTY. Uh, and, and yeah, yeah. I miss and the, the QWERTY. I do, I do. I miss it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh -huh. The big an antenna yeah. would poke a hole in, the, in, in, in your pants. And anyways, big laptop, client list. They gave me a car and said, you know, here's your territory and have fun. And I said, all right, let's, let's make some magic happen. And I had no idea what to do. And then I discovered that sales is actually that mechanism that you need to execute and, and do in order to get the final result, which is, you know, uh, either get or don't get the sale. So just the being being aware of that, I think it it does a, a shift in the perception that you have of the sales department, and then it allows you then to have much more control because people are used to having control on the way they will uh, make a uh, a tire or make headphones or whatever, but they feel like they don't have as much control over a sale. That doesn't depend on me. It depends on the client whether they whether or not he wants to buy, and that person will be right. But the whole process of getting there and getting that decision, that should be uh, something that is systematic, is systematic and like a mechanism that is part of the whole, which makes the company. Long story short. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is a process, but there's there's more to it than just the, the process piece. Um, well, what you said plus what I said equa equates, I believe, a good perception of the sales department. You so. have so, <laughs> brothers Lucas just yes. defined the art and science of complex sales, right? So, if the the process by which we are able to uh, the repeatable process by which we are able to help people understand and drive increase our perception of value and market. And then actually it becomes that mechanism uh, within the company to be able to increase that, that perception of value and market and then be able to uh, execute on helping them through the value we can bring. So, yeah. And I, I would add maybe a yeah. few things. I think it, beyond the process, it's the right step in the right order in the right sequence because I think mm -hmm. a lot of people out there could say, yep, we've got a process, but... Uh, the process wouldn't be 
wouldn't be in the right sequence or wouldn't have the right steps. So I think that's important and it needs to be consistent with do the steps and does the process contain the best practices that we know work to influence and sell and create the outcome we want to create. So uh, if the process is all focused on presentation and the process is more transactional or operationally driven and doesn't have the consultative piece, then it's a process, but it's not optimized and it won't be optimal in delivering the result that we're, that we're looking for. So that's for the process piece for the art piece. Uh, what I would also add is the heart, the art of just handling resistance, uh, which is part of the sales process. And that's what great salespeople do. They always, always handle the resistance, even and that's probably one of the things I see between average salespeople and great salespeople is average salespeople think that if there's no resistance, then it, no resistance, then it isn't there. <laughs> but it is. It's just it's hidden. It's passive. And what great salespeople do is they bring it to the surface so they can neutralize it. OK, so so mm-hmm. a lot of the resistance piece doesn't e- doesn't even happen. Uh, like it's not visible. You can't see it until until you make sure you bring it up to the surface. So, in the defin- in the definition of sales, like resistance would certainly have to <laughs> would have to uh, be part of that. Because really, when you think about it, when you're selling something, you're asking your client to change. You're asking your prospect to change. So. To its most basic nature, when, and and this is why I talked about influence earlier, this is really what it's about. It's about getting a person in front of you or getting a group of people to change what they're doing. Yes, there's the money piece where they need to exchange money for, uh, for your product, service, or solution, but they also need to maybe, uh, work with a new, partner or vendor, or they need to learn the new technology or the new product that they're buying. So there's always change involved. And actually, I had an interesting conversation with a client just a few days ago. And one of the product that they sell, there's a lot of grant right now. There's a lot of government money available. And when they sell it to client, it it pretty much boils down to being free. Okay. And um, he's like, do, do we really need to sell it? And I because really, with all the grants and the money, it's pretty much like it doesn't really cost much for the for the prospect. And I said, yeah, you still need to sell it because your prospect will need to totally change the way they're accustomed to doing things. And if you're not selling it, yeah, you can go and jump up and down. It's yes, it's uh, there, there's no money to put for it because of those grant money available, but you still need to sell it because it's it involves a change. And even if there's no money involved, you, you're still going to get resistance. You're still going to get pushback. You're still going to get all those things that you have in the sales cycle because of that element of, of change that is required from the client to adopt your product and adopt your technology. So I'm going to see if I can, I'm going to bring the combined definition of the Lucas brothers together here. Right. I've been taking notes frag frantically here, but yeah. wait, Paul, yeah. I have but more wait. to add. Okay. No, 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 wait. I'm, okay. joking. I'm joking. I'm you joking. Sir? Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Cause this is yeah, like, sure. all right. Cause it's, pro- <laughs> it's, it's, it's uh, killing my brain here. So sales is the the process. It's the art and science by which we can increase our influence, uh, uncover resistance, uncover and overcome resistance, increase value and impact change within our customers repeatedly. So that is essentially the, the repeatedly is that that science is this process, which I can do again and again and again and again and again and build great teams out of. Um, What do you think? That's your definition. I just wrote it down. That's good. Uh, it's it's very good. Uh, I, if we could use it 
please, uh, you can send it to us by email. And you got it. You got it. All email here. Here, everybody has a notebook. It's the scribbles. Uh, everybody just realized that I can't even read my own handwriting, which is good. The, the, the interesting part is that, uh, you, you asked us our definition of, of, of sales and we, and the conversation went to, to there. And, Frédéric and I, we basically built um, the the three axes to which we that we address whenever we start working with a yeah, company the and the levers exactly and and to these levers there are accelerators but anyways the three levers levels are the people the methodology and the strategy and I think that this definition can be condensed to those three elements where, uh, the, you know, in the people yeah. you have the skill set you have to have that, 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 uh, that mastery of the art of handling objections of, of executing a sales process. The methodology will be that process itself. And the strategy will actually be, well, you know, who, who, who do we actually sell to? Uh, what's the approach to market and all the other elements. So, we have this very visual way of presenting it to to the, the, the clients we work with, and it, it does understand uh, what the expectations and what we will work on with them. And I think mm-hmm. this gives as well a good definition of what sales is and and and, and needs to be in order to be uh, to be to be unbeatable. Or unbeatable sales performance was one well, of that. The- that drives me directly into my next my next question, which because I, I know you're, and this is a big question, so I'm just gonna. I'm going to ask it and I guys run with it. So I'm going to preface it with saying one, you're Canadian. So they are in Canada, everybody, but they, uh, (laughs) two, they work with a lot of businesses, uh, in Canada and across the world relative to helping their teams become the best sales teams they could possibly be. I mean, that's just a a generalized, very generalized definition of what y'all do. Yeah. And now the generalized answer that I hope you you go specific is how do you take the things you how do you build a great sales team? So from the ground up, John and Fred, you're building a sales team. How do you build a great sales team? Critical aspects of that and ready, set, go. I mean, it all starts with maple syrup in the morning, you know, because that's <laughs> that's the that's why Canadians, you know, we just Hit the ground running. No, I'm joking. For they have pancakes, serious, pancakes, yeah. pancakes, and, and maple syrup, and and yeah. and then and then that's a good good start of your day. Uh, a little hockey fight, and then we get into it. So, Fred, go ahead. Uh, what were you going to say before I was joking? <laughs> for the more serious answer, uh, yeah, yeah so, please. All kidding aside. Uh, so, Jonathan mentioned those three levers that uh, took us about 15 years to figure out. So. Uh, so the people, the methodology, and, and kind of building processes on top of those methodologies and then the strategy side. And, and I should say the sales strategy side of things. Now, it's, it's interesting. A lot of sales leaders, when they need to increase sales like or they need to build a team, the first thing is we need to hire salespeople. Um, but, but more salespeople doesn't equal more revenue. <laughs> If if you haven't figured out, if you haven't put in place the mechanism, the processes that Jonathan was talking about, and, and the first one is the sales process. That's the recipe. That's okay. how you replicate sales. So what's our recipe? Not only in terms of the steps and the milestone, but actually capturing how the conversation should happen. And that's the piece that salespeople struggle with the most is, okay, great. Like I need to do this and this. I need to talk about money or I need to find out what's the need or um, we have a concept, compounding reason, find that. But generally speaking, they have only a very vague idea of how what, what's the conversation you need to have to uncover that specific element. So when I'm talking about the process or the recipe to replicate sales, uh, it's it's also how to have the conversation and best practice around what are the specific questions that we need to ask 
what, what are the good questions? What are the hard questions we need to ask relating to the prospects we're targeting and relating to the solution we sell? So not just generic question, but specific questions that need to ask that earn us um, points, help us progress in that process. So this needs to be captured. And I, I mean, many companies put a playbook together on top of formalizing the sales process, but, but then the playbook doesn't really get looked at by the salespeople. So it's not only finding out what's your process, it's not only the playbook component, but it's making sure that playbook evolves with the learning of the organization of what works most effectively and actually making sure that salespeople are, it's, it's more than train. It's, it's drilled on like what needs to happen and how the conversation should happen. So, so that's one piece. So if I look at your three circles, no, if I, but I, I lied, I'm going to interrupt because I have to, uh, but if I look at your three, uh, three circles, that ties in, that is the methodology, right? That's, and yeah, they're not circles, the but three levers. That's the methodology, which is, it's not just the methodology for, you know, here's how you generally, here's how we generally talk to people. It's really specific down to how are we going to have a conversation by which measures are we going to measure if that conversation was successful or not? Yes. How are we then going to, you know, implement this in a way that is systemic and uh, trainable and teachable and that we could dive in and learn from? So all of that we're tying into this methodology. So you have process, you have technology, you have, mm -hmm. th these are just what I'm hearing about. So if you're building from the sales up you and you start with that sales conversation is what I heard. Yeah. And then the, the people component is you need a pro once you've figured out, okay, this is our recipe. This is the sales process. You need people who have the skills and the competencies to execute that recipe. And then this where, this is where we start talking about a different kind of process, which is a process for recruiting the, the right salespeople. And again, there are steps, there are milestones, there are tools, there are best practices, and there's a recipe. How do we bring on board those salespeople that are going to be successful with that recipe we've built, replicating that process we've built? And it's, all, it's not only selecting them, it's not only recruiting them, it's also onboarding them. And uh, again... A lot of companies fall short and their onboarding is more orientation than true onboarding. And then it's creating an environment for those people to be successful. And that has to do a lot with management and leadership and how effective is the management in place and, and what kind of environment they're creating. So there's the process. And, and when I'm talking in environment, where, where this is a people aspect where, yes, I need salespeople to have the skills, but I need managers who also have the skills to and the competencies to lead the sales organization. But there's also the art of creating that environment and, and um, having a culture that supports a, a high performing organization. So that's the other that's the other piece of building a team that is performing, that can gain market share, that can beat the competition, that can uh, win despite outside factors. And Jonathan was talking earlier about things that gaining control and things out of control. And I think too many sales team out there are looking at that, those outside factors and when they should be uh, looking internally on what's the stuff they do control and and market share, by the way, gaining market share, that's the ultimate measure of the performance of a sales team, because you can actually have a sales team who is growing revenue, but actually being stagnant on market share. But when you're gaining market share, this means you're you're winning over the competition. You're, you're actually doing something better because because you're taking away of their business. So 
I think that's a great no. That is a great measure. I I have some gain of market share, and so many people don't don't measure that. I'm going to take us back real quick before we dive into that. And John, I'm going to ask you to to dive in a little bit, which is so people is a second lever, right? And and Fred, you talked about a lot of lot of different areas there. So mm-hmm. culture, leadership, being able to lead. Managers being able to manage, being able to coach, having the right people on the bus. Yep. So there's a lot of sub levers within that. And Jonathan, can you pick out like how do you one get the right people on the bus? And but the second thing that I'm really interested in as well <laughs> is how do you then empower the team to come alongside and effectively take that right person? and make them an effective salesperson within that culture and structure. So if I'm looking to build a team, what are some of the basics around that? So how do I do it? How do I get that person on the bus? And how do I effectively then empower the managers to, to coach? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it is a, it is a, a, it's a big question and I don't want to get too, too much in the weeds, but um the the first I was, thing I, I told you I was going broad. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. So whenever uh, we're we're building sales teams, and before uh, actually joining the company that that Frederick started fifteen sixteen years ago, now I used to have my own business and had to hire salespeople. Salespeople are the best at interviews. They are the best. And they will sell themselves very well, but the delivery sometimes is is variable. Uh, the performance isn't quite the same from one model to the other model. So in that process, that hiring process, uh, we actually rely on on tools that have a, a predictive aspect of sales performance within a, a given environment. Mm-hmm. And there's always... Uh, I'd say casting issues that we come across. We do some recruitment for clients and sometimes we're trying to hire a role that would be perfect for Brad Pitt. We get George Clooney. He won't be happy in Brad Pitt's role. We need a George Clooney role. Okay. So we got this. You can um, call me up for either of those. I'm pretty dynamic. (laughs) I'm just letting you know. know? I had you in hello. (laughs) That's a Tom Cruise reference, but whatever. Okay. But the thing is, we have this great person. He's good at sales. But the predictive or or that that, that analysis that we have is that this person will thrive in the hunting role. And we're recruiting for a farming role. And, And so we're able to actually put the right people in the right spot thoughts because we have that scientific or that data-driven way of looking at a position that needs to be filled and making sure we're casting the right person for that role. So it's, it starts there. I ha- and I yeah. have something that I have to ask you here because a, a lot of people are going to hear this, right? They're going to hear you say that and they're going to go, oh, oh, good. You do testing. Yes. Oh yeah. Test them. Yeah, that's all that all that's all this is. But I know what you guys do and it's so much more. So it's not- it's a it's a tool. And I've tried. I've bought I've bought I went to the hardware store, I bought a bunch of the Walt Tour, the tools, I put them in my bathroom on the second floor of my house. It's been five months and it's still not <laughs> renovated. Like I don't what get the it. Hell? Like the guy at the store told me this is about tools to do the renovations and uh, the tools don't do it themselves. Like I don't get it. Right. So uh, it's the same here. We've got that test. Sure. But the test isn't the all knowing, all seeing uh, God. Right. It's a tool yeah. to help us poke holes and point us in the right directions and help us with the combination of our expertise, making sure that we're actually casting that right person in the right role. I think that doing it. And relying solely on our our feeling and how we like the person and and how we feel, it it has some good to it because we do have to listen to ourselves. Uh, but it is always good to be able to fall back or rely on that data driven, that scientific aspect. So it's a combination of two. And yeah, so, so Jonathan's bringing a good point in terms of the piece that is instinctive and. We were talking earlier about the process and what's, what is sales. And a lot of people are just instinctive in the way they approach it. So lesson number one, 
it's a process. There is art to it, but it's a process. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Same way for recruiting. I, like it's the same copy and paste thing where so many go about recruiting only based on instinct. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 16 years. I've interviewed thousands of salespeople. So I think, I think like I've, I've been exposed to enough to have a pretty good instinct and I wouldn't do it without the data. So there's a place for the data. Of course, there's a place for experience and instinct. And there is a place to also think like, is it a good casting? Jonathan, great point. Can I work with this person? Is this person going to be a fit with me as the manager, with the organization, with the client, with the prospect? That's another important piece of the puzzle, I would say. Uh, it's also about selling the opportunity to the to the salesperson. And I think this is again where where the there, there's a there's a missing piece and so many organizations were probably burned hiring salespeople that they're there and we I do a lot of compensation work. I do a lot of work like helping companies like build their compensation plan. And again, like compensation isn't going to fix everything. Okay. And again, a lot of leaders out there take shortcuts saying, Oh, I'm just going to change compensation. It's going to be fully variable and they're going to start prospecting and do this and do that. Well, guess what? If they don't know how to do it, even if you just have a, a, a write a big check or give a big amount of money, it isn't going to, instantly better at prospecting. So it isn't going to fix that issue. It's like going out and just buying a dog and like, why doesn't he do tricks? Like, what the (laughs) hell? I bought the dog. And I'm not saying salespeople are are dogs. I'm just, you know. What are you saying? You got to feed the dog. You got to pet the dog. You got to give treats to the dog. You got to teach the dog. And then he's going to do the tricks, right? So it's Mm -hmm. the same. You can't just throw money at the dog and and I think sorry not just uh, but again they're not building <laughs> the opportunity they're not building the incentive uh, and I often say when I train manager when you give a, a job to a salesperson or when you hire a salesperson you give them a vehicle to reach their goals mm-hmm. uh, their own personal goals so yeah. it all starts with that like what's the Number one, knowing the salespeople on our team, knowing the people we hire, what's driving them, what's motivating them, what do they want to accomplish? What's their personal goal? And if I build a plan and I help them see through compensation, but other things also that we're the right vehicle for them to reach their personal goals, well, guess what? They'll help me reach my goals and and grow my revenue. But it, it starts with them. Similarly to a prospect. If you try to push your reason for buying on a prospect, ain't going to work. You need to find out what's their reason for buying. Same thing here. So you yeah. need to, quote unquote, sell the opportunity to those to those salespeople and sell them the, the correct way, again, with what's going to be effective with them. So that's also part of kind of building the team from the ground up also. Oh, that's awesome. And you guys both answered the question exactly as, as I asked it, which is wonderful. Like, how do we get the right people on the bus? You're talking about it's, it's another, like, this is sales is an art and a science. It's another process based, mm-hmm. getting the right people on the bus, another process based system that we could then inject our own, our own art to it. Right. But you also need the, also absolutely need the data. And then you, you started to get into coaching there a bit, which is how do I empower that salesperson? I just had a pod. I just did uh, one of these the other day and they brought up the, the, the term. Yeah. Salespeople are coin operated. Yeah. Isn't And in this idea that, um, and they were mocking it, right? This idea people still think that way that salespeople yeah. are primarily coin operated in as I said, in the creating of their compensation package and the create and how they coach and how they manage and how they train. How do you build a management layer and uh and and an overall culture that then says, no, we're not. I mean, there is is wonderful opportunity in sales. 
people get into sales a lot of time for the money. Sometimes they get in for accident, but there's always the ability to make more money on somewhere else, selling somewhere else, always hundred percent. I don't care what you're selling. How do you help coach and lead in a way that gets away from that idea that it's simply, okay, we're, we're coin operated and you got to hit these numbers to, to, to make money for the, the company. So, so you're so narrow wrong. enough question or way too much. Sorry. Uh, Great I, question. I'm just trying to say, I'm, I'm just thinking like, how can I answer that in like the time we have left? Cause we could have <laughs> our podcast just on that specific topic. Yeah. But, um, and we see it in the data. The data shows that this is the number one thing that has changed over the last 10 to 15 years uh, is now the majority of salespeople are what we call intrinsically motivated versus coin operated. This is extrinsically motivated. And now that's that's a minority of salespeople around a little bit more than 20%. And you're right, managers haven't learned how to how to motivate salespeople who are intrinsically motivated. So they just like they just don't know. They're still with kind of their past way of doing things and that hasn't they they just they didn't learn so part of solving that problem is helping sales manager understand how do you motivate someone that is intrinsically motivated which doesn't mean that they're going to cost less by the way so (laughs) because even even salespeople that aren't coin operated it just means that money is in the NLB all. It's a way to accomplish their goals and their dreams and what they want to do. So now you need to go the extra mile understanding what's driving them and help them make the connection between the money and what's it's going to help them accomplish. But there's they're still going to use money as a measurement of how good they are. Uh, if if they're motivated for sales, so they're they're mm-hmm. still looking yeah. at the money. It's just that money alone isn't the thing that is driving them. So for managers, it's going it's going uh, further in understanding that, understanding their people and what's driving them. And as I said, kind of creating that connection between the personal side and, and the and what they need to do on the business side. Uh, to realize what they want. It's also kind of expanding, like how many companies I've, you know, worked with where they would have a board with ranking of salespeople. And then we analyze the salespeople and we find out that, you know, 60% of salespeople are motivated when they compete against themselves. And that having a board comparing their performance the last year or last month would just be so much more effective because more aligned with their motivational preferences. So I think a lot of managers are just very um, black and white in terms of how they approach motivation. Like you're either, you know, driven by money or not driven by money. You either, uh, you know, want it or don't want it, but there's so much more to it. There's so much like, Ray in the middle and that this is where it all happens like this is where the magic is so that's that's kind of how great. i would summarize it best <laughs> there it, well you say that's where the magic happens and it is true but it's not magic to make it happen in a way that we've we've we have a process to get there we have we call it the personal development plan and we actually have it inc- included in the, in when they start working with us and they start with um, membrane, Paul, you, you said not mentioned necessarily, but I'm just gonna, so they start using membrane, they work with us, they have, uh, they all have their personal development plan and in there, it enables them to answer these questions about, well, what, what are my goals in life? But, but it's actually, it's not like, what are your goals in life? And then you have to answer. It's actually a lot of questions that lead them to establish that. And then we help the managers actually bring that together with compensation. So we, we, this is another process. Um, so even though you say it's like magic, but, but there is a way step-by-step mm-hmm. way to get there. And that's the important yeah. part. Yeah. To break we can it rely up. on that. Yeah, I'm going to ask uh, a yeah. question here, real quick, because something something popped out to me. 
with what you said, and I don't know if, it's, if there's a question, there's a statement first and then a question, but the statement is, what, uh, Fred, what you said was some people don't like, you know, you have a ranking of 20, 20 people on the board, mm-hmm. uh, right? And they go from one to 20. And a bunch of sales experiences that I've been involved in, right? That person at the top, they are that person at the top, 14 or, you know, 10 out of 12 months, right? They're the one that is killing it. And then everybody says, oh, and it's about that person, right? And they are just a really, they figured it out, just a really good salesperson. But one of the things that I love about what you pointed out with that statement is, or what if, what if that person is just the most competitive against others, right? And that's the only way that sales has been measured in the fact is so I can rank myself against others and I could kick the crap out of them. I love that. What if it's what if what if many of them are competing against their own goals and their own self and you can help them improve? So Jonathan, you're talking about ways to actually systemize that, right? That's mm-hmm. what you're talking about with these personal development plans. How have you seen yeah. that shift the dynamic of the the leaderboard of 1 to 20 versus how do people move up and down and, and it's, tell me more. Maybe before Jonathan you jump in with that. I, yeah. Yeah, now Paul you're really going to get me fired up is that very often <laughs> another problem with the board is yeah. that we're ranking people not based on how much new business they've developed, but just on revenue. And you're right. It's always the same name at the top because it's the salesperson's been there like 15 years and has all the major accounts. And they're not really growing the business, but they're managing the most amount of money. So that's the other problem, not separating uh, the people that manage revenue in the business versus true salespeople that actually took a territory from scratch and were able to build up a million dollars worth of business. Yeah, this mm-hmm. seems very small when you have someone else with $10 million in revenue, but they inherited that over the years. So although the number might be impressive from a sales perspective, I would say it's kind of less. The guy or the gal with zero to a million, that's impressive. And so fundamentally, there's also in, in a lot of places something wrong with how the ranking at its core is done. So, uh, but Jonathan, please, please go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) So, Many things uh, had brought us there, but have you watched Ted Lasso, the TV series? Did you watch it or no? No. It's been recommended okay. about 7 million times and I've okay. never done it. So and that's on the be, low side. Uh, uh, yeah, it is so on the I'll be the one that actually yeah. says, you know, you gotta, you gotta watch it. But <laughs> <laughs> there's a little bit of Ted Lasso in there in the way that uh, the, the, the yeah, the, the gist of the story is he's an American uh, football coach that gets recruited by the owner of a soccer team uh, in England. And basically, the new owner is the divorced wife of the former owner that, you know, that rich mm-hmm. billionaire that cheated on his wife, wife oh. got the soccer club. And now she wants to bring that soccer club in the ground just to get back at her ex-husband. So she decides to hire like the least likely to succeed new coach to lead the team. And, 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 and Ted has an approach where he coaches the team as a whole. And, and I think that's the leaderboard thing. Right. You coach Mm -hmm. the team as a whole. And a lot of sales leaders will teach that, you know, they'll coach the team as a whole and their leaderboard. And but what makes the real difference with with Ted and he he has these one on one moments with with each key players throughout the seasons where he helps them grow individually because they all go through different things. You know, Uh, one of them has performance uh issues when he gets you know uh, in in a very uh high pressure environment another one has issues with with his own identity where um you know he he doesn't want people uh, to know that, that 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 he's in love with a man and he's covering that up and has and and so anyways he helps all these players 
grow and gives them this environment. But but as the coach, he really get, has this one-on-one involvement and then they end up winning a lot of stuff. And I won't spoil anything to you. But so you're right, Jonathan, where sometimes like managers tend to assume everybody is just the same and treat yeah, just the, the same instead of understanding like what yeah. are the differences from individuals to individuals. I hired you, so you should think like me and therefore perform exactly yeah. what I want you to do. Yeah. That's it's the way a, the world works. It's, just, it's not a hive mind. It's it, everyone is, you know, everyone is a, a key component to that mechanism and, and needs to be individually motivated and aligned. And, and, and that's, I think, you know, I'm not saying Ted Lasso has triggered that, but again, it's kind of in the, the same alignment where, yes, we need to have that perspective of the team, but we we have those individual humans that we need to to be having one-on-ones and having a structure to help them reach their goals. Mm-hmm. Yes, and you're bringing up another good point, Jonathan, and this is what I've seen with some of the best managers, uh, sales managers, is that their impact on their team goes beyond just the workplace. You know, they've helped the people on the team mm, with yeah. other stuff. Um, and Jonathan mentioned a few ones, but you know, like figure out getting values in the right order or balancing work and personal life. And so their reach is, is beyond, yeah, just beyond just the, the sales and the business side. Uh, they had an impact on the, the, people yeah. working there. Yep. If, if I can give advice to anyone that's watching and is looking at, at taking their top salesperson and promoting them to manager, don't do it. Please don't. That's, I mean, I don't want to generalize. It might be a good idea, but 95% of the time it will not because it's it's not because you're the again the best player the best scorer that you'll be the best coach it requires a, different, a completely different skill set uh in order to accomplish or be the best at that uh at that role so yeah, yeah. and i would say it a little different don't rush to it right don't rush to thinking they have to be there because mm-hmm. exactly that unless you're going to empower them with the the ability to be a coach and to build the ability to coach it one of the things I was I was talking with someone the other day, and they equated great great managers with they, they think the management level has to be not just a manager. You have to be a great leader, and you have to empower that leadership training because that's what allows you to be a allows you to be a great coach. And they were coming at it from a servant leader perspective. Like mm-hmm. I can't just be looking at the numbers and go say do more. I must be looking at the numbers and then looking at your life and leading you and lifting you up to be able to, to do more. Mm-hmm. And so that's exactly what you're talking about with these professional Velma plans is, is, is finding that motivation. I am going to, we are, we could probably go for another hour and a half without a problem, but I am going to cut us off right here because we've covered two of your three. And I, I am going to ask you back to cover the third, which is strategy. So I would really like to dive in with both of you on that strategy component. If you're up sure. for that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. Um, Any final words on the first two that we've talked about? We've talked about uh, the talent, the people, and uh, the methodology. Any final words you want to bring together on that for for the team? Yeah, the key ingredient that makes the the, the cake uh, taste good will be uh, time and commitment. Anyone that, was, that wants that to awesome. make that recipe work, key ingredients, you got to give it time and you got to give it all in or it's not, it's not, it's not going to taste good. That would be my, that would be my version of it. Nothing Love to add. Fred. <laughs> those are, those are good, good words. So let's leave it at that. Really? Um, it is. You got to give uh, him the last word. It does happen that way, doesn't it? Before talking about strategy, so <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure we're going to have time to address strategy today. I think we're going to have to come back. It depends on Paul. Uh, yes, we are going to come back. We're going to have we are to gonna come gonna back set another. another we're going to set yeah. another time for that, and we're going to get another podcast on the books. But I have loved having you both on. Your dynamic is fantastic. How do people reach you if they if uh, they want to reach the Lucas Brothers of, at uh, Prima Resource? 
Yeah, primaresource.com. We're both on LinkedIn, very active as well. So Frederick Lucas, Jonathan Lucas, you can you can find us there for sure. Uh, and uh, and I'd love to say that we're on uh, Instagram and X and all, but no, we're uh, LinkedIn all the way. So let's do it that way. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. We'll make sure we publish your LinkedIn and the websites and everything when we publish the episode. Thank you. I can't wait to have you both back. Thanks so much. And with that, everybody, keep shining bright. Have an amazing day. We'll talk to the Lucas Brothers again soon. And uh, that'll be the, the close of the episode for the art and science of complex sales. Merci. See you later. Merci beaucoup, Paul. Thank you. Merci, Paul. Thank you. Uh, how do I say merci beaucoup? Merci uh, beaucoup, yeah. How do I say well, you're welcome? Ça me fait plaisir. Ça me fait plaisir. There you go. Did I get it? <laughs> Absolutely. No. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah, yeah. It was wonderful. Okay, now we're signing off. Save. And I just, I just made all of Quebec hate me. Sorry, no, I didn't no, mean to mispronounce no, it. I tried. No, it's perfect. That's it. So you're good. Now we're signing off. All right. All thanks, right. everybody. We will Cheers. talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the art and science of complex sales. This podcast is sponsored by Membrane and our partners from around the globe. Here at Membrane, we believe that B2B sales is at a crossroads. Due to decades of quantity-based prospecting, information overload, and really a shift towards efficiency over service and pitching over leadership in sales, customers are saying enough is enough. They're tuning out average performers and choosing to take most of the buying journey on their own. This results in up and down sales results, forecasts that are all over the place, and salespeople that are half committed due to the fact that they're having poor results and they have an inability to truly connect with customers. We believe the road successful companies are taking to combat this is threefold. Number one, training to create leaders and executives across all areas of the team with strong habits and sales methodologies that bring value. Number two, technology. Technology that focuses and helps a salesperson succeed and reinforces great habits rather than wasting their time on filling out fields for reporting or wasting their time on spamming customers that have no interest in ever buying. Third, talent. And I'm talking about talent that's empowered and emboldened to make a difference for their customers and their companies. So where are you on that journey? Membrane and our network of partners across the globe are here to help and to elevate the sales profession. We streamline critical technology by combining CRM, training and enablement, and more into one seamless platform. We drive best-in-class methodologies through our partners. They provide the top thought leadership methodologies and resources from across the globe. And our collective efforts are dedicated to recruiting, training, coaching, and empowering, and measuring the habits of the top teams in the world to ensure success. Join us at Membrane.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening.